Hi there. You're listening to Lindisfarne Anglican Church's Sermon Podcast, a place where you can hear God's Word preached if you weren't able to join us at one of our services during the week. My prayer for you today is that as you listen to this message, you'd be challenged, encouraged, and equipped to live as a disciple of Christ in the world. May God richly bless you as you listen to this message today. Start our uh, new series t- today on the book of James. Going to try and do the whole of the book in five weeks, uh, so we'll see how that goes. But uh, I think what you should expect is that uh, you're getting a- an overview uh, that will help you in your own personal reading of uh, the book, as there's so much in it and so many good little verses like we heard in the kids' talk today uh, that uh, are really helpful. Um, but uh, my hope is that this will give you the, the, the big ideas, the big picture, the framework for your own uh, personal study, but also that there'll be things uh, as we do that that are helpful and challenging to you as well. Well, before we uh, kind of get underway and have a look at what we've got before us in the first chapter of James today, I want to ask you a bit of a hypothetical question. I want you to imagine for a second that you have lost your job because of your faith and now you find yourself in a position where you're struggling financially. Then I want you to imagine that one day as you're walking along the street uh, in your newfound uh, difficulties, you see your old boss from your old workplace who fired you because of your faith in, uh, in front of you. He's just parked his beautiful BMW Series 3, uh, leaving the keys uh, in the ignition to go into the corner store and grab some milk. And now before you, you have a little bit of an ethical dilemma. Here's this man who's caused you great hardship and now you have an opportunity at his expense to perhaps get ahead. You can maybe take the car. You can maybe steal the car and sell it somewhere else. You can use it for your own purposes. You can leave it there. Many options that have come before you. You can justify some of those options, can't you? I mean, this is the man who uh, has persecuted you because of your faith. It would be justice to exact some revenge. He's the one who put you in the mess in the first place. Why not take it from him? If he can afford that kind of car, he can at least afford a Toyota to replace it. The point of the hypothetical is to show that when we suffer, we have an opportunity to sin. That when we find ourselves suffering for our faith, when we find ourselves in difficulty because of our faith... There is great danger for us because it opens up many opportunities for us to do the wrong thing. We take the story of Job, for example. Uh, There is a man who doesn't succumb to the temptation, but who for the whole story, uh, as uh, he finds himself afflicted, has the temptation before him to curse God, which he doesn't do. Suffering is a really interesting thing for us to think about as Christians because in suffering, we see, and in James 1 we see, that in in suffering, in tough stuff, we have great opportunity for growth, for perseverance, 
or for death through sin. And so we're going to unpack a little bit uh, of that today and see how James calls us to choose growth and godliness and trust in him instead of the opposite, sin uh, because of our persecution, because of our suffering. But before we kind of see how, how that kind of uh, comes out of the text today, let's begin with what we should always do whenever we come to a book of the Bible, which is understand uh, its context. Uh, and the context that we have today uh, is uh, there for us in verse 1. We have the author and the recipients. James, a servant of God of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations. Uh, and there's... Two interesting things uh, that we have here is that we don't know exactly which James it is for certain and that's an interesting uh, address that we'll come to in a moment. We'll take the author first before we take the recipients. So the first uh, thing we see is that over the last 2,000 years, uh, I think partly in order to justify their own existence, scholars have spent much time debating which James is the author of James. Uh, not James Lord, he's not, a, he's not an option, but many other Jameses are an option. Uh, and uh, we see today, uh, as you read through, you can, you can read all the pros and cons about why it couldn't be this James or why it might be that James, but the overall consensus and the historical position is that the James who wrote this book was James, the brother of Jesus, one of the key leaders of the church in Jerusalem, uh, who we see uh, have such a prominent role in the council in Acts 15. You can go and read about that if you'd like to. And uh, on balance, I'd say that that's the most likely option, but of course, we don't know. All we know is he's a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, and most likely he is that James. Who did he write to? To the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Now, that's interesting. I wonder if you can think why that might be a, a, an interesting uh, way for James to open this letter. For James has just said that he is a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then who does he say he's writing to? The 12 tribes scattered among the nations. It sounds like he's writing to Jewish people. And that's a bit strange, isn't it? Because he's a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we actually go through the book, we see in places like verse 2 uh, or chapter 2, verse 1, where he calls uh, the believers, believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think what we see here in such a, 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 a simple opening line to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, to something that we potentially would just skip over uh, in our reading of this book is that actually for James, he believes this great truth that it is Christians, people who follow the Lord Jesus Christ, who are the true people of God. And so the 12 tribes, of Israel, uh, the 12 tribes scattered among the nations is like a shorthand way for saying uh, to all the people of God. And we know that uh, uh, Paul also used this uh, kind of language to describe Christians. So in Galatians 6.16, he calls Christians the Israel of God. And uh, in Galatians 3.7 and in Romans chapter 4, he talks about how we are children of Abraham. 
When James says to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, he is reminding us that for all of time, God's plan and purpose was always that, it, that his people in the world would be those who called on the name of the Lord Jesus. We represent God's nation to the world as Christians. And so it's a letter that was written to all Christians uh, in his time, and it's a letter that has great application for us today. And I think what we see uh, is that the big idea of this book is that how we interact in our relationships with others is a key test of faith, that our relationships need to be real and genuine, that we have in James throughout uh, the next five chapters uh, a practical letter, a letter about how we are to honour God in the many different relationships we have in this world. But what we see as we get into chapter one is that we first and foremost have a primary relationship or a foundational relationship that sets us up for right relationships everywhere else. And that is our relationship with God himself. This is, I think, the foundational idea for James. And lots of his other ideas are are scattered throughout chapter 1. But I think this is the big one that, that, that joins the whole chapter together. That if we are going to be people who relate well to those around us, who relate as God wants us to relate to those around us, then we need to get ourselves right with him. And in fact, we see teaching like this in other parts of the scriptures, don't we? So Jesus, for example, you might remember when we were in Luke's gospel at the end of last year, talks about how you shouldn't look at the... uh, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? Slightly different concept, but related. That is, you need to sort yourself out first. Likewise, when Paul writes to the... uh, When Paul speaks to the Ephesian uh, leaders in Acts chapter 20... He says, keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. He starts with the individual first and and their own spiritual growth. They've got to do that first before they're able to do the other things God has called them to. And so I think we'll see as we work our way through this first chapter that James is making two points, two big points. He's making many sub-points, but two big points. And they are that we need to make sure that we're trusting God and him alone in troubled times and that we need to make sure we're students of his word and we're doing what it says and allowing it to transform us. But let's take the first section first, verses 2 to 17, where he encourages us to trust God in troubled times. He says in verses 2 to 4 that we are to consider it joy when we suffer. And then in verse 12, he says that we are to do this because we will receive the crown of glory. And I talked a little bit more about these verses uh, and and what they mean last week. And so I don't want to rehash them, uh, but uh, encourage you instead, if you can't remember or you weren't here, to go and... uh, go onto our website and go to the talks part of the page and check out that talk from last week. Uh, But we see there that God has encouraged us uh, to continue to trust him in difficulty because when we do that, we we persevere and perseverance leads to maturity in verse 4. You can see it on the handout there. 
But what I want to focus on today is what he says in verse 5, where he says that we need to ask God for wisdom as we're going through troubled times. Verse 5, he says, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. You see, when we find ourselves in a difficult situation, when we find ourselves facing suffering, persecuted for our faith, there's all sorts of feelings that we can have, aren't there? Feelings of guilt, like this is somehow my fault. Feelings of confusion, I can't understand why this would be happening to me. Maybe we're afraid. Is this going to end? What's the, what's the outcome of this going to be for me? We might feel anger. I don't deserve this. This is not fair. And of course, with all those extremely natural responses to difficulty and suffering and persecution, it makes it very difficult, doesn't it, to have joy when we're feeling some of those things that we all feel. And so James says that we actually need to ask God for wisdom. We need to ask God and he will give it to us. We need to ask him to give us wisdom that transcends our understanding, to give us wisdom that calms our fears and our anxieties, that gives us peace in the midst of confusion, that reminds us that he is a gracious God, And James tells us that when we ask, when we ask in faith, God will indeed give us wisdom. Well, aside from wisdom, which we know is a good idea to ask for from verses 6 to 8, I wonder what else it is that you might pray for when you find yourself in the midst of difficulty or suffering. I suspect if you're anything like me, you would ask God that it would stop. You'd say, Dig, I don't want this anymore. I don't, I don't want to be like this. I don't want to be in this situation. I, I want this to stop. And I think the thing about suffering is that when we're, when we're in the midst of it, uh, it, it tends to be that we think that it is our biggest problem. But what's fascinating about verses 13 to 18 of this first chapter of James is that we are warned of something far greater a problem than our suffering. We are warned that, in fact, the greatest problem is ourselves and the temptation to sin in suffering. As one scholar reflects on these passages, George M. Stulak a good name. He says this, the Bible says that the trial itself is not the most seriously life-threatening factor. The greatest danger to me is not the wrong being done to me, but the wrong that may be done by me. The real threat is that when wrong is done to me, I may be tempted to fall into sin myself. And so James says in verses 14 to 15, but each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after the desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to to death. James is saying that when the Christian person suffers difficulty and persecution and suffers for their faith and finds themselves in the midst of suffering, 
then here they find themselves tempted, just as that theoretical person was at the start of the story today. Here we find the temptation to sin, to shortcut God's good plans. And ultimately, that gives birth to death. James here effectively shows us that this is the opposite outcome of what God intends for us in our trials. That God actually wants us to grow in maturity through suffering, not to give in to sin. But it's our choice to make. When we face tough times, we're called not to let it drag us down to excuse our sin, but instead to persevere through the trial, asking God for wisdom as to what to do next. How is it possible that you can make that choice, the choice for maturity and growth instead of sin and death? Well, we get a bit of a hint in verse 18, but it is unpacked more fully uh, in verses 19 to 26. We see in verse 18, he chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. That is, with God, the road to trust in him is to be someone who spends time in his word, who gets to know Jesus through his word. And that's what he talks about in verses 19 to 26 about how we need to allow God's word to transform us. That this is the, 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 the way to uh, that maturity uh, as we ask God for wisdom. He, he gives it to us in spadefuls through his scriptures. Of course, there is a great danger though, isn't there, when there comes to spending time in God's word. James says in verse 22 that we, merely, we should not merely listen to the word and so deceive ourselves. We must do what it says. Sometimes uh, I can fall into this trap. I don't know about you, but uh, I've got this app on my phone called the Bible app, the version app. I'm sure you've got it on your phone. Uh, it's a, a great app and... Uh, Uh, One of the things that it does to try and encourage you to read the Bible uh, is uh, tell you how many days you've done in a row uh, and then also tells you how many um, perfect weeks you've had. Uh, And so that's kind of, someone like me, it's kind of addictive. Um, uh, I I like getting all the ticks and I like racking up the perfect weeks. Uh, And of course... That's good because it means that I'm reading the Bible more. But it's also got a flip side, doesn't it? Like James says here, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. And the great danger for me is that it literally, I literally am engaging in a box-ticking activity. That I just want to smash my way through the four chapters that my plan says I need so I can get the tick in the box uh, and I can keep my streak going. But James says, no, don't, don't do that. I, he, I mean, he, he's effectively saying I'd be better off not doing anything with the Bible than doing that, which is just getting it done so it can be done. I need to actually spend time and, and think about what I'm reading, don't I? James says it's extremely silly 
to read the Bible and not put it into practice. He gives this analogy in verses 23 to 24 of the person who looks in a mirror and then goes away and forgets what they look like. I remember once I was staying with some people uh, and uh, uh, they would spend a long time in the bathroom. The house we were staying in only had one bathroom uh, and there were uh, a couple of uh, females who lived in this house uh, and uh, they spent a long time in the bathroom. Like, you had to time when you got up because if you got up after they got up, you weren't going anywhere fast. Uh, and, and I often think about that when I think about these verses because how silly it would be for them to spend so long uh, looking into the mirror, making their makeup perfect, getting their hair perfect, getting their clothes on straight. I don't, I don't know what they were doing, um, but whatever it was that they were doing that seemed to take them forever, how silly if they then just turned out uh, of there and totally forgot what they looked like. You know, they saw a glance uh, of someone uh, reflecting on their door uh, window on the way out and they were like, who the hell's that? Um, that would be silly and, and, and stupid. And James says, well, that's what it's like if you read God's word and you don't do what it says. But the road to blessing, he says, in verse 25 is this. Whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Study God's word. Don't just read it. And do what it says. This is the road to blessing. This is the road to joyful suffering, to growth through trials, to the avoidance of sin in suffering, which leads to death. Being a student of his word and Uh, having an engaged relationship with the Lord Jesus. I think one of the great dangers, and I've said it before uh, uh, up here, uh, of our uh, modern age, is that we have misapplied the word blessed. We actually use the word blessed, don't we, to refer to the sort of life that James talks about in verse 10. And James has a lot to say about rich and poor and we'll come to it in later weeks. But in verse 10, uh, he says, The rich should take pride in their humiliation since they will pass away like a wildflower. Uh, And I I highlight that verse here just to say that it's interesting though because I think we would say often, deep down, the rich are blessed. Blessed are the rich. Well... Blessed are not the rich, but those who look intently into God's perfect law that gives freedom and continue in it and do what it says. Blessed are they who do that as they suffer and turn away from sin. As we reflect on James chapter 1 today, there's so much more that I could have said. I could have sat you here for two hours today and talk to you through all the different things that are in there. But I think the encouragement and the overall picture is this, that in troubled times, which will come, you are guaranteed that if you trust God, he will give you wisdom to get through it. And so he wants you to grow your relationship with him by reading his word and doing what it says.
If we do those things, if we trust God, even when things are tough, if we read his word and do what it says, then we build a great foundation for doing all the other things that we're going to read about in James uh, in the weeks to come. But let's get our foundation right. Our foundation on God and his wisdom given to us through his word. Amen. Hey there. Thanks so much for listening to this message today. I hope you were encouraged by God as he spoke to you by his Holy Spirit. Please head to our website if you'd like more information about our church. www.lindisfarneanglican.org.au Or like us on Facebook by searching Lindisfarne Anglican. We are a church for Lindisfarne, making disciples of Jesus. God bless.